You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Well, welcome all you wiretappers back in the studio of Gangland Wire. I'm here with our good friend from Chicago, Cam Camulus Robinson. Hey, Cam, how you doing? How you doing, Gary? Good to be here. Well, it's always good to have you back on the show. And folks, Cam got hold of me. And it's it's interesting that he got hold of me today because I'm behind the time. I just started watching The Deuce on HBO and I was enthralled with it. It was done by some of the David Chase and uh, author uh, Pelicanos, George Pelicanos. George Pelicanos is probably one of the better crime writers, maybe even the best crime writer in the United States. And so they're the ones that are responsible for that and wrote a lot of it. It's based on the mob infiltration of the Times Square porn industry. And it was huge back in those days before they came along. And the very end of it, I don't want to spoil it for you, but by the third year of the series of Deuce, they're cleaning up Times Square and it's all about real estate. And real estate and owning real estate was a big part of this whole porn industry. It seems kind of funny, but you got to have a place to put those porn stores. Everybody didn't want to rent to you. And, and it's a good place. You know, back then, like every major city, Cam, if you remember, the midtown, the core of all big cities was just going to shit. Yeah. Everybody was leaving. The businesses were closing. There was just the government was about left in the 70s. After the really after the riots of 68, everybody started running for the suburbs. And it, it wasn't until like the 80s that it started slowly but surely turned back around. You could buy those buildings downtown just dirt cheap. I mean, you could get something that in a few years would be worth a million dollars. You could get it for $100,000. I remember this one guy was talking about doing that. He did some of it, and he he's pretty damn wealthy today. So anyhow, we're going to talk about this porn business and the mob. Cam got hold of me with this article about the uh, Perinos and Deep Throat and how they uh, financed Deep Throat, and they made a jillion dollars off of that Deep Throat. So Cam, let's get us started here on the mob and the porn business. What really got me going, Gary, is this new, anybody who's watching this, Pam and Tommy Lee, and that was the first sort of celebrity leaked sex tape. There's a character in there, Butchie Prano, and I was familiar with the Pranos, but as Gary was talking about, when porn was really getting going, it was really with the obscenity laws. I mean, porn, it it went from illegal to sort of legal to where we are today, where it's... It's all over the internet and everywhere. But when it was in that gray period and even before then, I mean, who would you go to for financing if you had something you knew would make money, but you couldn't go to the bank because it was a semi-legal venture? Well, that would be the mob. And if it's tied up with sex and there were a lot of drugs and all that sort of glamorous stuff involved, then clearly that was prime real estate for the mob to get into. That's for sure. They love those gray area businesses, you know, strip clubs, porn business, anything that there's addiction and it's kind of gray area. They are there. They're on top of it. Right. The burlesque shows in the the 12th Street in Kansas City. So somebody went to the Butchie Pereno and to get financing for this tape and that Pereno's father, Anthony Pereno, actually financed Deep Throat. For those of you who are young, Deep Throat was pretty much the first major mass release porn film. I'm going to boil, spoil it, bore you with the plot, but infer what you will from the name of the movie. But in addition, they financed 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. A lot of these independent films, they couldn't go to Hollywood to get financing, so they went to the mob and you would pay somebody with points. You would give points on the film and that was, you would spray it out with, I'll give you 12 points, I'll give you 15 points. The mob usually ended up with the majority of points and they got their money first before anybody else. So these Perenos, and they were in the Colombo family. They were two brothers, Anthony and his brother, Joseph. They were huge, fat guys. They were nicknamed the whale and the big guy. And they were real big guys. And they both had sons named Anthony Jr. and Joseph Jr., both also very big guys. They financed this deep throat. And as Gary said, this movie went made millions, millions and millions of dollars. Uh, uh, was, and that the deuce, they deal with that about this first movie that went legitimacy. They started out when and when they only were selling porn, the real hardcore porn from underneath the counters. They had softcore porn, you know, hustlers and playboys and that kind of thing on top of the counter. But down underneath, they had the really hardcore stuff and movies. And they kind of maybe have a peep show or two in the back It was the short clips of sex acts going on. And, and they just started out with women stripping on the peep shows and, and then it moved on to the more harder core. So that was, but at this, this time, the Supreme Court made a judgment. It was a case out of California that the first case, there was a famous statement that Supreme Court justice said, you know, I'm porn. I know it when I see it. Right. And it really had this loose standard on what constituted porn. But then this next case, they said you have to look at it in its entirety, whatever the product, uh, the work was, and then it, judge it on according to community standards and according to its artistic value. When you put that words artistic values in there, artistic value, a lawyer goes nuts. That's what we call a lawyer's dream there. That is so loose. You know, what's art to you is not art to me, maybe, but what is art? And also community standards. So they dealt with that in the deuce, how they said, well, now we can have this porn in New York because our community standards are different than, say, oh, out in Minneapolis or Kansas City. So that's, it's just the progress of this porn industry. And the mob was all over that. They pay lawyers to advise them on things like that. And they were all over that. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah, that way, as part of getting the points, especially on Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Deep Throat, the mob took their cut first, and a lot of people were left in the lurch while millions of dollars were being racked up on these two movies, especially. Nobody else was getting their share. I think, uh, Gary, you and I were talking earlier about if the mob didn't finance, didn't get their points off the movie, they also, because of these bookstores, they had the ability to distribute. They owned the theaters, they owned the real estate. And I've got my friend up here on the uh, (laughs) desk with me. So, So they owned the rights distribution. So they would not show the film just like in the early days of the jukeboxes. So you needed the mob to show the film, even if they didn't necessarily finance it and pay for it. So you needed the mob either on the distribution or in the financing of the film one way or the other. They own the bookstores, the theaters and the production value. So porn was pretty much top end of the mob. And another thing these guys would do if you were a smaller porn producer. And there were a lot of little small porn producers because by, you know, we're getting into the time when you've got digital cameras. And even just before that, uh, when you had eight millimeters and 16 millimeter cameras, they didn't really have to have sound. You didn't have to have big production values. And these prostitutes were, they were happy to make the extra money and shooting little porn shorts, you know, just like two minutes or five minutes of some action, shall we say, to get the money shot, get the cum shot and that kind of thing. I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's something else. So, 
you're trying to sell, you're trying to, you want to get some money out of those. Well, you had to go in business with the mob or if you had a more ambitious mm-hmm. project, maybe 30, 40, maybe an hour long, but you had to go in business with the mob because if you didn't and they see your, find your movie, they just copy it. That's right. And just put it out through their stores and then they wouldn't buy yours. So they didn't have to play by the rules. They had a lock on the porn business early on. And what we see in Chicago and you know, our friend Red Wilmette explained this. If they didn't have rights to distribution, they could just come in and extort the porn shops. I mean, right. you just come in and say, you better give us our cut. We're with the uh, Neighborhood Improvement Brigade and we want our $1,000 a week. Right. So they were going to get their business. The print porn was run by a guy named Ruben Sturban out of Cleveland. He basically, they called him the Walt Disney of porn. Huh. He basically had access to all the porn around the country and he was mobbed up. You look at guys like Robert Bernardo, who's a Gambino, made guy in the Gambino family. He was eventually be killed by a sonny Sammy Gravano. And there were some other names too, weren't there, Gary? There was a Gentile in the Columbos, you said. Right. And, Joseph uh, Gentile from the Columbo memory. He financed a lot of porn movies because he had a huge gambling operation. He was known as Big Earner. He also had a loan shark operation and he was putting movie money in it. Then there's this Michael Zaffarino who was a Bonanno Capo and, and he owned several pieces of Manhattan Times Square real estate. They were converted all into porn stores and peep shows. Right. You had a, a wide array. That's, that's most of the families represented. And the ones we haven't named, I'm sure they had people in there. And this was all across the mob. Yeah. And Chicago, Cleveland, Kansas City, Gary, like you said, they had the burlesque. So it was yeah. everywhere. Kind of watched that in Kansas City, kind of how it developed. You know, it was the peep show and the kind of soft corn books. And they were in the back of this time to read newsstand. I remember that. I was a young man. We were all looking for those kinds of dirty books. And <laughs> they were in the back. You had to ask about them, and they were in the back. And this was owned by a guy, and I had no idea who it was at the time, owned by a guy named Morris Snag Klein, who was kind of the Mayor Lansky of Kansas City. And soon, as it started coming out, you could actually put this stuff out front. He never really put out front in the newsstand downtown. It, it's kind of a place that visiting businessmen could go in and buy a New York Times. Or, and you had every kind of magazine, you know, your, your gun magazines, your whatever your interest group or interest is, you got to find that magazine at the time to read newsstands. Plus, he had racing for him from Omaha and all the information about the horse racing in Omaha, and so which was our closest racetrack. But then he got involved with a place called Ray's Playpen when they, it really went more legitimate as the Supreme Court came out with this new artistic value and community standards. And, and it was a big store out in the midtown part of the city. So it kind of developed just like that, I'd say, in every city in the United States. Right, right. As soon as those obscenity laws sort of lifted, they really went all in. Really? Uh, yes. not Robert, uh, Robert Bernardo was a pretty interesting character. He's got really more of a well-known history, I think, than the rest of these guys. The rest of these guys, they kind of stayed sub rosa, kind of down below the surface, never really, you not really heard of them. Of course, he became famous because he got killed by Samuel right. Bull. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he right. was a Gambino guy. And see, Paul Castellano, he typical of Paul Castellano, he didn't want to get his hands dirty, right? But he wanted mm-hmm. the money. And so he kept this guy at a distance, but he took his cut, constantly right. took his cut. So when Gotti came up, wanted to kill Castellano, one of the people he went to was DB or D Bernardo, because he already knew, he knew enough about DB that the DB was not happy with Paul Castellano and he jumped on board right away. Right. right. And so he was depicted, I think he was the Rudy Pippolo character in The Deuce. 
And he was kind of a guy that was more a business guy. And that's the way this Rudy Pippolo was. He's more of a business guy. He wasn't a strong arm guy. He'd get mad at him. But he put up with a lot of stuff out of a couple, three characters in that because they were making him money and, and they were putting joints in. He was backing them in joints all over Manhattan as Manhattan and property values went up. He was making more and more money. Right. What Gravano called a racketeer as opposed to a gangster. Right. Right. I mean, those are the guys that I've always respected, the ones that, mm-hmm. that can do it be a business. Right. So, so many of them, if they just go ahead and do it on the up and up, they'd still make good money. What fun is that? Huh? Back to this Pam and Tommy, the previous generation before the Butchie Prano in the Prano brothers, they're making all this money off of, off of all these films. They're extorting behind the green door and they're making their millions of dollars off of Deep Throat. The crew leader, Anthony Prano, the older brother, has to go on the lamb, I believe he may have fled the country. He leaves his brother Joseph in charge of things, gathering the money, putting together, the, taking care of the operation. Joseph and his son Joe Jr., both huge guys, big, big in the mob and just big in girth, are running the operation, collecting the money. What they're not doing is saving his brother's share, and they're not passing on a proper amount to the Columbos. So they are called to a meeting. Anthony Prano realizes his brother's holding out on him. He convinces the family that he's holding out on them also. And in the Columbos, to get a guy killed was, it didn't really take much. I mean, the Columbos would kill each other just for the fun of it, basically. I mean, those guys are pretty rough. They set up a crew to kill him. They got them up on a wraparound porch. And these two big guys are trying to run away and they blow them both away. But there is also an ex-nun and her husband that live in this house where these two men were killed. And the ex-nun was shot and she was killed also. So this was a real, real backfire on behalf of the Colombo family. This was a real major issue. There was a guy named Tommy Gioielli. His father was in the Gallo crew. He said this hit haunted him for the rest of his life. He didn't specify which hit. He just said he was haunted by a hit and he was known. An informant placed him in this crew. So it, it seems that he was haunted by this for the rest of his life. Yeah, that um, makes sense. So fast forward to the early 90s and you've got Butchie Prano has moved out to California, the son of Anthony Prano. He is living in California. He is making money in the porn industry. And we've got this guy who steals the tape from Pam and Tommy Lee. He goes to Butchie Pereno to get some money to distribute the tape. And Butchie puts up $50,000. And everything in the, as depicted in the miniseries is, is true. But I thought that because that is such a popular series, we see this mob guy. And that's not a, a compilation character. Butchie Pereno is a real guy. And he did put people out on the street as, as leg breakers, even out in California. So he went, but he followed the porn from the East Coast to the West Coast, where it migrated to. You've got the porn industry that went West, and that was where the mobsters went. That's why they make the movies, the guy told me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what they show in, in the deuce that, that all that business migrates out to California and then they really take it and run with it out there more so than they ever did anyplace else as far as actual making the movies. Now, the Prinos were eventually, the Bureau went after them for a shipping obscene material interstate. In the middle 70s, ended up getting convicted, I noticed in, in my research of shipping obscene material interstate. And, and part of it was for the distribution of a Deep Throat on videotape. Mm-hmm. I'd have to, I'm not sure exactly the legal basis for that, but it, a lot of those porn cases happened. were flimsy. Right. And so supposedly Anthony 
jump bail and disappeared. Yeah. Went to Italy. I don't know. If yeah, that that's right. Or not. It was while he was in Italy that his brother was ripping him off. Yeah. I forgot about the, the Italy. I thought that that was where he went, but it was while he was in Italy, his brother was ripping him off. And when he got back, he sent a hit crew after his brother. So the Frenos were a violent crew in a violent family. And the Joe Jr. and Joe Sr. were both killed. They used double lot buck in sawed-off shotguns. They were given at a social club. And both of these two were killed. And Anthony and Anthony Jr. went on to continue their porn rackets. And Anthony Jr. became a major financier on the West Coast. And you've spoken to Kenji Gallo. And I remember him talking about he worked for the L.A. family, but he got tied up with the Columbos also while he was on the West Coast. He got to know the Columbos because they did have a presence out there, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I remember that now. I'd forgotten about that. I remember that, that he was involved. I wondered, I I never really understood quite how he got connected up with them. And he had some ties to the porn industry too. He was, I remember him telling stories. Because he had girls. That was a deal. He had girls that he was supplying. That was a deal. And he ends up coming back East and gets tied in with them there. He's an interesting guy. Right. Oh yeah. Tells a hell of a story. So I guess uh, if you're going to be taking your clothes off, you'd rather do it in California than in New York. (laughs) Makes sense. It's a little warmer. (laughs) And of course today, it's everywhere. They don't actually have the cum shots on TV or on the uh, streaming <laughs> channels, but they might as well. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. What the internet has done is democratized porn. You've got everybody with a phone making it and distributing yeah. it online. So there's yeah. not much the mob can do unless they, they get can. into the telephone market. Yeah. The internet it took every bit of control they had out of that entertainment business for the most part. Heck, I had a, I got a guy that I advised on a deal. He made like $20,000. And in a month, and what he had was a connection to a website, and he recruited a couple of people who would, all they had was a camera, and he just connected them all up, and he took the majority of the money and then paid the actors, shall we say, and they were just alone in their rooms doing sexual Mm -hmm. things with themselves, and these guys were, you know, clicking and and paying to watch them, you know, all of a sudden they like, okay, you're on. So then the girl would jump up or another one was a guy, one was a girl. They'd jump up and start doing, you know, playing with themselves or whatever they did. I didn't get into it too far. I just told him they were trying to extort money from him. And that's why he came to me and made some claim about how they were going to turn him over to the tax man or some stuff. And I said, you know, they're independent contractors, dude. Don't worry about them. <laughs> just give them my number and tell them to call your lawyer. I'll talk right. to them. And of course, I never heard anything more from them. So it's, it's just, you know, porn is, uh, the mob has lost the porn industry. One more example of one of their industries that was taken over and became legal and that they lost. It's, it is definitely another place where they no longer have much access to make money. But while it was going, it was a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. It could be a violent industry. There was a small porn war here in Chicago with bombings and murders. And it was definitely something they were deep into, but it is more or less gone. You know, one guy we didn't mention was Matty the Horse I yeah. know, in New York. And I can't remember what family he was connected to. He was the Genovese. He was Genovese, Genovese capital. And, and he owned a bunch of that property. He had money in the porn business. He was making money out of the porn business on 42nd Street. And they depict him as a kind of a, a rough character mm-hmm. that everybody's afraid of in, in that, the deuce, you know. And, and you know, we did the Joy Gallo story. And his uh, yeah. brother owned Umberto's Clam House. Umberto's Clam House. That night. 
That's right. He likely had something to do with the stories that Pete the Greek put his gun to Matty the horse's head. Whether or not he pulled the trigger on a blank on an empty gun or, or whether he didn't is uh, for debate. Pete says he did. A lot of people say he didn't. So Yeah, interesting. All right, Cam, I think we've covered the porn industry, at least in a, a cursory manner. <laughs> right. I, really I don't want to do too much research on, uh, on the really? computer. <laughs> right. If you're about 18 years old, <laughs> I'd just have to give you a bag of quarters and you'd go out and do all the research we wanted, wouldn't I? Right back in the day, yeah. All you guys out there, if you're of a certain age, you remember... <laughs> You remember when that started and, and you were in high school and you tried, you wanted to go into one of them. The peep shows. The peep shows. That's another thing in the deuce. <laughs> they started out with, the, they figured out the peep show deal and bringing the girls in from the, you know, the strolls, I would say the working girls off the streets in Manhattan and putting them in the peep show. So the guy could go into this booth and he'd put his money in and then the window would was that was covered would open up and then the girl would dance for him. And so this one guy, he had uh, one of the characters in this. I got an idea. He said, let's take the glass out. And they're going, oh, no, no, I don't want those guys come through there. No, don't worry about it. Let's just take the glass out. Don't let them, you know, just yell if anybody wants to try to come through that window and just don't get close enough where they can touch you. And so do that. And what happened was then guys could like give them some extra money with throw dollar bills in there. Mm -hmm. And, there the, and the girls like after that, like, wow, that was a hell of an idea because, you know, we just made an extra $500 tonight or $200 or whatever, make a lot of extra money. But those guys wanted to throw that money at them. Then they'd act like they were doing a little more because they had this more, more interaction with them. It's crazy, isn't it? Very enterprising. Well, the mob still has the uh, strip clubs. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Them, trust me oh, on yeah. that one. They still oh, have yeah. the strip clubs. Get a piece of that action. That's what my friend Michael D. Leonardo, Mikey Scars, fell on was being involved with that big strip club down in Atlanta. And I get a gold or some everybody. I've talked to people about some people. Say, oh, yeah, I remember that place. It was fantastic. <laughs> right. I talked to a friend of mine, uh, one of the podcast fans from Florida, and he said, oh, yeah, I mean, he knew all about it, man. <laughs> I think he'd been there. He had been there, some business thing he was in Atlanta on, and he had been there. They had, you know, like a high dollar dinner place, and the girls were all, they were all high dollar too. We had one place in Kansas City where the girls were a cut above the other places. There's always, yeah, there's always the place where there's the, they're in tiers, you know, right. there's the top tier, there's the middle tier, and then there's the Sunday afternoon lunch special. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, that lower <laughs> tier, that's pretty sad, man. Uh, <laughs> I've been in a few of those, too. I've not frequented, but I have heard the tale. <laughs> All right, Cam, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Gangland Wire. Now, don't forget to like and subscribe down below if you're on YouTube. I started on YouTube, as you all have noticed, I would imagine. If you're on an audio platform like the Apple Podcast app, you can give me a review there. I appreciate that. You can also support the making of each episode by buying me a shot and a beer on your Venmo app. If you have Venmo, that's at Gangland Wire. I have a new way, uh, buy me a cup of coffee. There's a link in the show notes to buy me a cup of coffee or two. You can go to my website. You can see all my books and movies that are for sale, or you can donate via your credit card on the PayPal button, or if you have a PayPal account. And if you donate enough, why you start getting those books and movies and a coffee cup or a t-shirt or whatever you want. And remember, if you are a friend or 
suffering from PTSD, check out the Veterans Administration resources. Just go to Google and Google PTSD and Veterans Administration or VA, and you'll find that website and you'll find there's a hotline and there's links there to help you find resources to deal with that problem. And remember to look out for motorcycles on the road and stay safe. Bye, folks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.